Hi, this is Nancy Arvizu, and you're listening to Write, Speak, Play. My guest today is Mary Elizabeth Pratt, and today she's going to read her victim impact statement, something she was denied her right to do in a court where she could have faced her predator, her abuser. And it's a difficult story to hear. I am honored to give her this space to read her statement. This is why Write, Speak, Play exists. I believe it is important that we are all heard. When our stories are told, there is accountability. When there's accountability, behavior changes. And that's what has to happen. So things like this stop. Behavior has to change. But change only seems to happen when there's accountability. So my my main goal is that um, so that they know of, there are 35 other victims. I'm the only one over the age of 18 and, um, there's more victims. That's just, they had to, they hit a point in the investigation where they went, oh, we've got enough. Um, and they, they can't interview everyone, unfortunately. Um, but part of being the only one that's over the age of 18 is that when I wrote my um, victim impact statement was that I wanted those girls to realize that they had life after what happened because I had lived this, like I'm, I'm in my twenties, but I've had so many more experiences. I've been in the military Um, I'm a published uh, article author. I'm an accomplished distance runner. And that didn't get to define me. Yes, it's a part of my story. Yes, domestic um, violence victim advocate will always be a part of my story. But those girls needed to hear because they more than likely wouldn't have been able to share their stories anyway, just due to their ages. The youngest one was 10. um, That they, they were heard because I heard them and that I, they understood that their stories didn't end there. They got to start there. Um, because that guy's a scumbag, (laughs) um, in the very shortest version of words, but, um, but that, uh, one of the things I say in my victim impact statement is all of the things I'll be remembered as, uh, a daughter, a sister, a niece, um, you know, all of the cool things I've done in my life. Um, and what he will be remembered as is a rapist an abuser and a predator. And that's where his story ends, but that's not where mine gets to end. Um, I have so much more and one, it really wanted those girls to hear that. So, um, and then my other part is, um, what can we do for, you know, what, what can parents do or, you know, loved ones, guardians, whatever, what can they do to, um, to help stop it? It, I don't think, especially with the way that the internet is, 
in some of the tactics he was using that you can stop it completely, but what can we do to avoid it? Or how can we, if it happens, how can we make sure that the specifically women, but it happens to men to make sure that these girls, boys, men, women, how, how can we make sure that they're heard and understand that what's happened to them is wrong? Um, so that's my main goal with all of this. Um, so why don't I start by reading that? Um, okay. So you don't have to include all of it by any means, um, but it's, it's about seven minutes long. I have recorded how long it'll take me multiple times. It's my catharsis to read it um, or to, you know, read it out loud to myself. Yeah. So I'll start by saying uh, that this, um, this is all happening in a military court. Um, and we were both in the military. He is currently in the military. Um, I am now out, but um, that will, it, especially the beginning, um, makes it sound uh, a little bit different than a civilian court. <clears throat> and I will cry during this, just fair warning. I'm good. <clears throat> Members of this military court, when I joined the United States Coast Guard, I swore an oath to the U.S. Constitution to defend against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Today, I stand before you to defend against the latter. This man that sits before you no longer deserves the title and recognition he earned as a United States Marine. I was a scared, naive freshman in high school when I met a man who had ruined intimacy for me. I was 15, not even old enough to drive, not old enough to sign a document alone, not old enough to have a bank account. I thought the attention I was getting at the time was fun. I stand here before you more than 11 years later to tell you that it was not. I was baited into sending lewd photos, videos, and messages by a man nearly 15 years older than me. For nearly 10 years, he called me Lolita, a little girl who savagely had her life taken from her by a man who thought of no one other than himself. And that's exactly what happened to me. He taught me to confuse abuse with intimacy. More than 100,000 text messages, letters, cards, phone calls, Snapchats, and video calls taught me that my worth was nothing more than what was nothing more than my body. And for a long time, I truly did believe them, believe, <laughs> believe him. He began to wrap around my throat and my words. I began to believe the lies he said to me. After all, what wasn't to believe from a Marine? It didn't take long for a strangle to take hold on my entire life. My parents began to notice changes in me, hostility and anger I'd never shown before. A life once led with a bright smile and a head-on attitude turned into a reserved, cold demeanor with no smile and no light behind the eyes. Fortunately for, unfortunately for me, they quit asking questions and just assumed their teenager was just a teenager. Unfortunately, my dad died just after my 18th birthday, never to know what hurt his only child so deeply into the core. This change also drove a wedge between my mom and I, and to this day, our relationship is irreparably broken. So I walked into my adult life as a person with no parents, an abuser in tow, and an outlook that life couldn't possibly get worse than it did in that moment, but it managed. That strangle continued well into my adulthood, but spread like a disease through my entire life. I figured if my, worth, my only worth was what was between my legs, I may as well use it to my advantage for attention. I sought some sort of comfort in military men who were toxic angry, resentful, abusive, and neglectful, just like he was to me. 
I put myself in continually more risky situations leading to nothing more, but nothing but more abuse at the hands of other men because I didn't know how to accept any sort of affection if it wasn't accompanied by something that slashed at my soul. And while that was happening in the open for all to see, it was still happening to me behind closed doors. He had taught me that I was worthless without him, that somewhere deep down, I had to crave his attention and manipulation to feel whole. And I believed that for a long time. But he also strung along a fantasy that someday I'd be with him. I'd be living the life of a worshiped princess. I believed him because maybe that would, that would be what made the years of heartache and pain worth it. It would somehow complete me. But as I grew older and realizing now out of his preferred age range, the messages grew sparse unless they were begging me to send crude photos and messages just so he could finish himself off as he used to put it. The only thing I knew what to do is fight fire with fire. I decided to join the military myself and figured it would somehow save me. And if it didn't, it'd kill me. And that'd be better than the life I was living. It did neither and the abuse continued. I got married thinking it would save me. He didn't care, the abuse continued. I moved over time through six different states. The abuse continued. It continued only until I was too old for him or not worth my weight and salt to him or something I don't know. On January 9th, 2020, he made a mistake that will forever haunt him. He made the decision to reach out to me, to call me, to tell me that he was under investigation. As I stood outside of my apartment building, I dropped everything I had in my hands and screamed. 10 years of pain came out of my mouth in a moment. Because of the fear I was instilled with, I began sleeping with a shotgun next to my bed when I found out he was under investigation. I changed my address and considered changing my name. I feared what he was capable of if he was capable of this level of carnage and hatred of women. When I walked into that NCIS investigation room, flanked by three men who swore the same oath as us and one to uphold justice for those hurt, I felt empowered for the first time since I met him. That day, the dynamic shifted. I didn't have to feel ashamed of the life I'd led. I didn't have to feel ashamed I'd fallen victim. I didn't have to feel alone. I got to have the power to tell my story to empower those other women he hurt and to feel proud to do it. I wish I had known in that first minute we met the unpayable debt that he would owe me. Because in that moment, handing over three laptops, two phones, letters, notes, postcards, and postcards that were the culmination of 10 years of abuse, it weighed down upon me like an exhausted horse laying down to die. This man taught and led Marines while they had no idea the double life he spent when he went home. He taught Marines in the field, he taught Marines in the classroom, and he was supposed to lead by example. What he did instead was lied to and about his own wife. He lied about his entire life to those around him. Those Marines who looked up to him deserved to see an example made of, made of a man entrusted with the rank of gunnery sergeant. One thing he cannot and will not take from me is something that he isn't capable of, love in a healthy relationship. My life healed with more than five years of therapy and the therapy of watching his life unfold before him. I spent an untold amount of money learn to learn to deal with the anxiety that came with it. The amount of time I spent on his abuse and life is time and life I will never get back. I will never get to have my childhood back. I will never be able to unsee what he showed me and will never be able to fully recover from the way he treated me. I take seven medications a day to survive. But despite all of that, I was able to free myself from the bonds of abuse that he put on me. I was able to find love, happiness, and true companionship. 
These are things he should never and now will never know. There are not enough words that I could bring to this court to tr ever truly flesh out the feelings of abuse, anger, resentment, hate, and cruelty. There is nothing that this court could ever do to repay me. There is no revenge that could be served. There is only the revenge I can live, I can give of living a life that I am proud of. You cannot take away the things I did despite you. You cannot touch my college degrees. You cannot take credit for my military service. You were never a thank you line in an article I wrote and published. You will never have the pleasure of watching me get married and have children or write a book or do whatever I see fit to do in this lifetime. Unfortunately, this is the culmination of what you chose to do with yours. I'll be remembered as a lot of things, a published writer, an accomplished distance runner, a domestic violence abuse advocate, a wonderful daughter, a niece, a sister, and a friend. What you will be remembered as is a rapist, abuser, and a predator. I will not give him the pleasure of his name coming from my mouth again. After millions of words I have given him, the 1700 will be my last. He has finished his hold on me. He took away my voice and my identity, and today I have found it again. I am no longer your Lolita. Tonight, I will go home and go to sleep knowing that I do not have to sleep with a shotgun next to my bed. I don't have to fear him. I don't have to wince when I get a text or a phone call hoping it isn't him. I don't have to be afraid to open the door to my own home. There is no hatred left, but there is also no forgiveness. I only have pity on him and hope someday a greater power than ourselves weighs his soul in a way we cannot. The ultimate choice will not be one made by man, will not be one made by this court or by any other court. It will simply be the one that is made when he dies, hopefully behind the walls of a prison, never to see the light of freedom again. To me belongeth vengeance and recompense, their foot shall slide in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things that shall come upon them make haste. Deuteronomy 32:35. May God have mercy on your soul, for he will be the only one. Wow. I saw your reaction in the corner of my eye while I was reading that. And it's, um, so that's the first time I've ever read that in full to somebody else. Um, I've shared it before, like digitally, um, and I've read bits and pieces, but um, you're the first person to hear it all in its entirety. Um, and that's the first time I haven't cried reading any of it. So. Well, I'm doing your tears for you. <laughs> And I'm but so really, honored that you're here to do that because that is exactly why this podcast exists. That's exactly what I want is to give women like you and me this space to share that complete story. And like I said, it was about me telling my story, but it was also about all of those girls, little girl. I mean, ten, think about 10 years old and having this fully grown, almost 40 year old man that you don't know is 40. You don't know that. And then one day, all of a sudden, NCIS, the, the military cops show up at your door and want to see your phone. And it's, it's horrifying what he did. But I wanted those girls to know that their life doesn't end there. They get to do all of these other things and define their life however they want to do. And he has no control over that because his, he's done. His, his, his world is over. He will spend the rest of his life in prison. 
um, or damn damn close to the rest of his life in prison. Um, and we get to do whatever we want to do. So and I think, you know, the good part is that there is another side to it. It does take time to rewire the mind after trauma. And you have to decide that. Um, and, you know, sometimes it takes a while to get to that moment that you can decide, okay, I, I can do this now. I can let go. I can start to let go of those little moments that haunt me every single second. And that's a hard place to get to. For, for, it takes time. It takes time. But you're right. Um, they will have the rest of their lives to become a, a voice. You know, for you sticking up to you standing up to be a voice for them. That's the greatest gift you can give to all of you. Absolutely. And especially because um, I only know the ages of a handful of them. I don't know their stories. I don't know them. I've never had the opportunity to talk to them. But if this was the one chance I got for any of them to hear me, this was, this is my one opportunity to tell my story my way, not through a prosecutor's lens, not through anybody else's. They're my words. And that's the one shot I was going to get. Um, and if that one shot was going to be heard by even one of those girls, that was enough for me because that meant one life got a little bit better knowing that we get to have life after him and he is not the end. And I was the longest abused. I was more than likely um, one of the first, if not the first. Um, and those girls get to have a much different life than me and not be held by those bonds. Um, because abuse is a, it's a bond, it's a cycle. Um, it's horrendous. And people are always like, well, why'd you keep going back? Why'd you keep talking to him? Why'd you keep, um, you know, why, why'd you, why didn't you just block him? And because it's not as simple. And I think anybody that's been abused knows that it's not as simple as just being like, nope, I'm done. Like it's, you're so wrapped up in this narrative that they've put you through. And there's, there are good times. I have great memories. He sent me letters in boot camp that I still have and I still reread because the, us both being in the military was a bond we shared. There's a book that he recommended to me that I reread often. Um, because it's it means something a little bit different to me every time I read it. And it's about going into combat, combat and being in the military. Um, and those are the good times I choose to remember, but I also have to remember that there was a lot of disgusting abuse and I was 15 years old and no 15 year old deserves to be sexually abused. Um, Cause one thing I don't really talk about in there is that um, I was physically sexually abused. Um, he did come and visit at one point. Um, and that's what I choose not to remember. That's where my memory blocks out. Cause even where I tried to tell them everything I knew, I remembered exactly where it was. I could tell them the hotel. I could tell them the coffee shop we went to. I could tell them what I was wearing that day. 
But when they asked for details, I just had nothing. Like it's in my brain, it's just black. Like I remember everything right up to it and then there's just nothing. And then I remember going to work like nothing had happened. Um, so yeah, I think I'll step off my, <laughs> my soapbox now and let you ask questions because that's really where I, I think I shine. I'm really good at answering questions. So I'll let you, um, I'll let you do your thing. Cause I actually read your article about asking good questions and I actually thought it was really good. But that's, that's the hard part is asking good questions, but not just asking good questions, asking, you know, you've been through a lot and we've all had our experiences and we're, but we're all in different places of understanding of healing and being able to talk about it. And, you know, the last thing we want to start doing is triggering ourselves to go off and have this crazy day because of how we, you know, we want to, I guess the questions where I, where I want to go to now is where are you in this process of healing? You know, what books do you read? What, you know, where are you getting your information from that's helping you rewire your mind, you know, after trauma? Yeah, so there's this wonderful book that I'm sure a lot of people that have been through trauma of any kind have either been recommended or have read called The Body Keeps the Score. Oh my God. Yeah, so The the Body Keeps the Score is a wonderful book that most people who have been through trauma have either been recommended or have read. Um, I regularly see a therapist and a psychiatrist. I'm on um, a great combination of medications that work really well for me um, to help with my anxiety and depression and um, both PTSD and complex PTSD from the trauma and from my time in the military. Um, so I've got a, a fun plethora there. And I'm currently working through a workbook called the Upward Spiral Workbook. And it also has a book that goes with it. Um, it's like a little series. I think there might be some like smaller pamphlets that um, go with it that my therapist was sending me little snippets from. She would send me photos and she'd be like, oh, think about this today or think about this this weekend. And I was like, well, I'm just going to get the book. And basically it's all about rewiring how we think, um, starting with what, what do we feel? Why do we feel bad? What makes us feel worse? Um, and then I haven't gotten all the way through it yet. <laughs> I'm about three chapters in, but it starts with movement. Let's just move like any way we can. And it gives this list of like a hundred different ways you can move today. And it's everything from going on a walk, which seems in everybody that has anxiety or has been through trauma, here's just go take a walk. And it sounds so dumb. And you're like, I'm not going to go take a walk. That's not going to fix anything. And it really does because that movement gets your, gets your mind off of other stuff. And it makes you pay attention to what your body's doing. And I became a yoga instructor, a trauma-informed yoga instructor, because I truly do believe that your body can take your mind away from other things. Um, and moving your body can sometimes be really cathartic. Like um, I'll put people into heart openers, uh, which is you put a block in between your shoulder blades, just lay on your back and you're just opening your chest. 
and people will just start crying and you go over and check on them and you you kind of work through whatever their feelings are and you go what are you feeling what you know like walk me through what you're feeling why are you you don't never ask why are you crying because like obviously there's something like what are you feeling right now what are these feelings that are coming up and sometimes they don't have words for it it's just like I feel so relaxed and relieved and just feel like I'm in a safe space where I can do this right now Um, and sometimes they have reasons I had a bad day I'm going through a breakup and I just feel safe right now in this in this position and in this space with these people Um, and they can feel vulnerable so that's that's really kind of the main ways I've been working through it and I think that the healing process is not I think process is sometimes a not the right word. It's more of a journey with no end. I will never be fully healed. I will never, um, it's not a cancer treatment. It's not chemo. It's not one day you wake up and you don't have cancer anymore. I will always live with this trauma. I will always remember things. I will always have to deal with the way that I react to situations based on the way that I was conditioned to through abuse and through trauma. Um, but it's, every day is different. And as I hit milestones in life, like when I met my current partner, um, I had to rewire the way that I thought because he didn't respond to yelling and getting angry. He just shuts down when he hears that. So I had to think of healthier, you know, find healthier ways to respond to him if I was upset or if I was feeling emotions because he can't fix anything if I'm just screaming at him with no apparent cause because I don't feel good on the inside that has nothing to do with him. Um, I have to find a healthier way to deal with that. And I have to calm myself down, tell him what's wrong. If he can't fix it, he can't fix it. You know, not everything's fixable, but can he take me to get something to eat? Can he make sure I have water? Can he make sure that I take my med- my anxiety medication? Can he get me a drink? Whatever it might be to chill me out, what can we do to like fix these problems? Do you need to be listened to? Do we need to lay down and cuddle for a little bit? Do you need a nap? And that sounds silly and like what you would do to a child, but sometimes it is that I'm just hungry or sometimes it is that I just need a glass of wine and to relax or watch a movie or whatever it might be. Um, But that, that journey has no end, Um, which if you're at the beginning of that trauma journey and that healing journey, it seems impossible. What do you mean? I'm never going to feel better. No, I feel better every day Um, because I don't have to live like that anymore. I get to make my own choices. I get to decide what the rest of my life is. He has no say anymore, which is awesome. Um, And the only person that does have a say anymore is a wonderful human being who treats me with love and respect and doesn't touch my body like it's his. He touches my body like it's mine. And that's such a cool feeling when all that you know is people touching your body like it's yours or like it's theirs, sorry. yeah yeah there's a lot to unpack there 
I invited Mary Elizabeth back on to the Write, Speak, Play podcast, and we have scheduled four more talks to discuss difficult topics that I hope you'll tune in to listen because we all need to hear and we all need to know in order to protect ourselves and our children and also to change behavior, to hold people accountable for the awful things they do because only when they're held accountable does the behavior change. So I hope you'll tune in to listen to the other episodes where Mary Elizabeth will join me. But I just want to say thank you for listening. This is a difficult topic, and we will be discussing more difficult topics. So take a deep breath, and let's get comfortable in the uncomfortable. This is Nancy Arvizu, and you've been listening to Write, Speak, Play.